said at the beginning in the opening that we're getting ready to land the plane. So we've called into the airport. Our flouts are down. Our wheels are down. I pray you've learned at least one thing when you hear the kingdom of God, that it's about God's government. But tonight it gets really practical. What does all this matter? What does it matter about priest and priesthood and roles and government and how God governs and gifts of the spirit and fruits of the spirit and everything we've discussed and talked about tonight becomes very very practical. And I pray that it inspires you. And I pray that you finally maybe grab hold of what we've been saying for 25 weeks and go have an aha moment that this is what this is all about. And this is what this is doing. I want to start very different tonight with what I see is going on. I opened up last week with anytime you talk about the future and you discuss the future, you have to have a little bit of disclaimer that none of us really know because it's the future. We can speculate from reading scripture. We can decipher scripture and discern scripture. And then we can conjecture and say, I think this is what it means. And that's why anytime you talk about the future of the book of revelation or prophecy, you'll have 15,000 different YouTube videos with 15,000 different. This is what I think. And by the time you're done, if you're not careful, your head hurts. It's like, wow, I didn't know so many people could think so many things about one topic. And it is true when we talk about the future that it's difficult. And I started last week with this about the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ that a lot of people don't believe that'll happen. We've all, we're already living it now. This is, this is God's kingdom. You get to live it right now. There's many Christians that believe Jesus will return. He will literally come back, literally riding a horse with the armies following him. And he'll set up a kingdom in the nation of Jerusalem. That's my belief. And for a thousand years, Jesus Christ will sit on a literal throne in the temple of David as the king of the kings and Lord of lords. And he will rule for a thousand years. And we get to rule with him. Now that does sound strange if you're not a Christian. And even if you are a Christian, it's really weird that some guy is going to fly in the sky with flying horses because that's impossible. And they're all going to come back and we're going to rule and reign and have like the coronation of King Charles that we just watched on the 6th of May as we crown him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It seems far-fetched, I know. It would take some faith to believe that. But I want to intrigue you of something that I think should cause your spirit to perk up. And that is that if we just leave Jesus Christ out of it for a moment, and we don't even talk Christianity, and we don't worry about a king coming to govern the world with peace and safety, and we don't talk about what he's going to do to rule and reign over humanity and kind of get us back to that Garden of Eden moment where there's no war, there's no disease, there's no... If we just leave that Jesus coming back and we say, let's just act like there's no God, there's something very fishy brewing. And the thing that's fishy that's brewing is that thinking is already in the minds of the world. Uh, if you want to study this, it is called it is called the Agenda 2030. This is from the UN website, so it's nothing. There's no depth to this. This is right off the United Nations website. You can go on to it, and the United Nations website has an agenda. And the agenda is 17 different points that basically is the goal is to transform the world. 
So if we take God out of it and we don't even talk Jesus, there's a spirit that's working in the world right now to cause there to be a global government over the entire world. We would not even think this was possible 10 years ago, but we just came through a pandemic where everybody in this room now knows global government is possible because global government shut down the entire planet. We shut down businesses, schools, churches. We were smart enough to leave strip clubs and alcohol places open, but we shut down because those things are essential. You got to have a good stripper and a bottle of whiskey to make it, but that's how stupid our world is. But people, people did it. We stopped the entire world. We shut it down. Now, that ought to tell you that global governance is possible. Before, we may think, oh, that's just China, that's some rogue dictator somewhere, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, Russia, China. But if you study it, and I do not have time by any means to go into this, but I do want you to know that there's an agenda. The World Economic Forum, the UN, the global leaders are pushing toward a global government. Right now, there's a heavy push toward a digital currency for the whole world that will move beyond Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And right now, the Federal Reserve of America is looking to solidify a digital currency that they can govern and manage in America itself will move to a digital currency and it's if we just look at it we can go yay we're going to make life easier we're going to make the planet better but the reality is if we go back to scripture now and we pull God back into it who he's going to come and rule and reign it's going to be a king that will govern the whole earth then we know if that be true and Jesus says the spirit of antichrist is already here what we can say is if Jesus is coming back to rule the world globally as one government, then the spirit of Antichrist is, I too will rule the world with one government. So what I would like to tell you, if there's already a humanistic form of one world government and control of everyone, then I would dare say if we pull the Bible and go, then there's also a king coming that is the antithesis of that. Because we all know if we don't even talk Christianity, even in the, the... The philosophy of the yin and yang principle to every evil, there's good to light, there's darkness to cold, there's heat. So we could say that if there is a global world that is brewing of global governments in the physical realm, then we could pretty much assume just based on philosophical thinking that in the spiritual realm it's happening too. And so it gets interesting. I don't have time to teach it, but you can go download it and reach it. But there's basically 17 points, and they, they, they use this. It's called to a sustainable goal. I put them up there for you, but it's just interesting because if you read through all of them, it sounds pretty Christian about what Jesus will do. Gender equality. Uh, don't you remember when he says there is no male or female, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile? When he comes back, it goes through that there's going to be clean water, clean sanitation. We're going to be able to sustain communities. We're going to have peace, number 16, peace, justice, and strong institutions. Number 15, we're going to take care of the life on the land. We're going to take care of number 14 of life in the seawater. Does that not sound like what Jesus told Adam and Eve? You'll rule and reign over the birds. You'll rule and reign over the fish of the sea. You'll rule and reign over everything that I've put there. So what we do know is that we don't 
want to be ignorant and we sure don't want to just bury our head in the sand that already right now, before Jesus comes and sets up a worldwide global kingdom, there's already a movement that is antithesis of God, antichrist spirit that is coming to govern the world to pull it together, that Lucifer will be the God of the world ultimately and will require, if you ever, you know, study Revelation, uh, Revelation 13, if you don't take the mark and you don't, he'll, he will refuse you to buy and sell. We are already at that point now. We're already at the point that the government of the world has already determined what you can and cannot do. We determine if you go to the grocery store, when you can eat, where you can eat. And they, it was a good test run, right? I mean, if we're, if we're looking at it that way, we came through a brilliant time. So I, I want to share with you tonight why what you're doing right now for God matters. Because if this is being built with humanistic principles in mind and it's working its spirit right now, on our planet. If you're Christian, we would believe that spirits are working a spirit of the world versus the spirit of the kingdom, light versus darkness. Then we need to open our eyes and go, if the planet is pushing quickly, it must mean that there's something in the spirit world also moving quickly. And he even says, behold, I'll come quickly. We, we kind of take that as it's been 2000 years, but he's not talking about quickly as in that, but quickly as in when it happens, it will take you by surprise. But I love what Jesus teaches. Jesus says to those that will seek me, it will not take you like a thief in the night. You will be able to discern the times and the seasons and I will reveal to my prophets what I'm doing. You won't be taken by surprise. You will have your lamps trimmed and you will be ready to go. So I shared all this with you, not by any means to try to teach on some theological thing of the sustainable development of the United Nations but to show you that this global government is, is already the wheels are spinning. And to me, if the kingdom of Lucifer's wheels are spinning toward a global government on earth, I would assume in the realm of the heavenlies, the wheels of heaven are starting to spin. And things are starting to happen quickly. And if you've ever looked at the culture we live in right now and thought, what in the world is happening? This is so different than I've ever seen. Anybody feel that way? Yeah. Well, I believe it's because the wheels are turning. Yeah. We're seeing things we've never seen before. We're having conversations we've never had before. We're seeing perversion uh, acted like it's norm normalized. Perversion is becoming normal. So it's, it's a strange time. So I shared that to hopefully wake you up that what I share tonight is needed. How do we need to think as a Christian in this type of world? Let's jump into it. Some of these scriptures were from last week, but we want to pull them out again. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, here it is, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Now notice something, this has already happened in the physical realm. We just came through a pandemic where Jesus didn't judge the living and the dead. We judged them. 
And if you didn't wear a mask, you got judged. If you didn't take a vaccine, you got judged. If you died, you got judged. If you didn't die, you got judged. If you were alive, you got judged. So we've been sitting here doing this over the whole globe. It was not something done in a culture or a racial group. It was a global judgment. You just don't wear a mask and go out and watch how you get judged. How dare you kill me? And you're like, I'm not killing anybody. I feel good. No, you don't feel good. You're sick. And you're like, I'm not sick. I really feel great. It's an asymptomatic thing. You're sick. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I feel great. You can't feel great. It's just asymptomatic, meaning you're sick, but you don't even know you're sick and you don't feel like you're sick and you have no symptoms of being sick, but you're sick. And it's like, okay, but no. Well, that, that was happening right under your nose. Why? Why? I did, and I, again, I'm not talking about locally in a town. I'm talking about global. Yeah. The entire world was judging each other. Yeah. Now, the issue with that is, is if this is true, it's because the day of someday is getting real close of him coming to set up his kingdom. Yeah. And he will judge the living and the dead. So there's this test run of this antichrist spirit that's trying to do the same thing. I'm going to set my kingdom up and judge the living and the dead. It goes on in 2 Timothy 4, a few verses down, verse 8. And here's where it gets interesting. It's not talked about a lot in Christianity. And now the prize awaits me. Much of Christianity in 2023 is a very introverted, selfish faith. It's about what God can do for me right now. And if he doesn't do it for me now, he probably doesn't exist. But the thinking of the early Christian, faith was not about what God could do now, but that there was this award that was awaiting us on how we lived right now. It wasn't what God could do for me now. It's what I could do for him because there was an award waiting. So what has happened is we've grown a generation that wants God to do something for them. Rather than raising a generation that says, what do you want me to do for you? Amen. Now, and those are two huge ways of how you will approach your Christian faith. Either what God can do for me, answer my prayers, fix my problems, heal my diseases, versus the faith that says, I don't care, what can I do for you? Because if I can do that, no weapon formed against me will prosper. If I can get on his plan, no devil can take me out before my time. I'm on his kingdom plan. So this is what it says. There's a prize awaiting me. And it says something interesting. It's a crown of righteousness. We talked about that last week, which the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. So it's an instantaneous thing. It's not something that accordingly is ditched out over a long period of time. It's the moment he appears, you receive it on the day. Now, I don't know how he could give if there's 7 billion people, and let's say 3 billion of them make it. How do you give out 3 billion? billion crowns in a 24-hour period. That would be impossible. So it must not just be, a, quote, a literal crown. It could be. He's God. He could just poof and my crown is on my head. But I love what he says. The prize isn't just for me, but for all who eagerly look for his appearing. So it does tell me something that the way I'm thinking in these last days is critical. Because if we're not careful, we get distracted and lose sight that he's coming. 
and we just get lazi fair about it, but it literally says you need to be eagerly looking forward to it. Now, not eager because you're afraid of how dark the world is getting. That's fear-based. And that's a lot of rapture teaching. God's going to get us out of here. My belief of the rapture is he's not getting me out. My belief of the rapture, he's rewarding me. Not getting me out of a crisis moment. So the thinking here is the eager looking forward is not because our earth is getting so ungodly. It's because there's a reward. I get a reward for serving him. It goes on to say this in Romans 8, verse 16. For the spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we're God's children. And since we are his children, we're heirs. We've talked about this last week. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. And, but if we are to share with him, we must also share in his suffering. 1 Thessalonians 2, 12. We pleaded with you and encouraged with you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. In other words, you know, this is a stranger. This is where I'm going to go. So I'm about to dig this out. God's watching you right now. I know we don't like to talk about that. We like to say we get into heaven for free and God doesn't judge me. And it's all by grace. I'll teach you that tonight. But I do want you to know, yes, it's all by grace. But he's, he's watching something and he's judging something. And it goes on to say, for he called you, and I love this phrase, this is what we're going to hold on to tonight. He called me to share into his kingdom. So I wrote this question out for myself this week. As an heir of God's kingdom, then what am I going to share? What's he going to share with me? We saw that I get a reward, I get a prize, I get a crown of righteousness. We talked a little bit about that last week, that, that death is defeated and I get to rule and reign with him. But tonight I want to dig that, uh, that ditch a little deeper. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 11. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we also will live with him. If we endure hardships, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we're unfaithful, he's still faithful for he cannot deny who he is. The thing that I believe, if we read that again, it says if we die with him, we live with him. Come on, you like that? But I love verse 12. If you can endure hardship... Nobody teaches that one. And I'm not talking about the devil. He's defeated. I'm just talking about live on planet earth and watch what the, the theology or the thinking and the humanistic ways of planet earth will produce hardships in your flesh. As you have to toe the line to believe what no one else wants to believe. It's that moment where Peter's encouraging him. Hey, don't get too discouraged about the suffering. There's brother Paul rats in Thessalonians. There's people all over the planet going through the same thing you're going through. And he didn't mean the sufferings of the devil because the devil can't put on you what God redeemed from you. But he meant the sufferings of the world, the ungodly people, the people that hate you, the people who live a life differently than you, that persecute you and kill you and behead you and boil you alive and crucify you upside down and saw you in two. He said, if you can endure that, and here's the thinking, you can reign with me. So what do we share with? We share in his life and we share in his reign. Now, this is going to become interesting because it's, it's about to create another question that's going to even take it deeper and more thoughtful. 
The word rain means this, what it would typically mean to rain, but it means to do it together, to act as a co-regent. And what's happening is Jesus is going to come and set up a kingdom, but like Moses, he's not going to stand in front of the three million people and wear himself out. Do you remember that story? Moses is wearing himself out and his father-in-law comes to him and says, look, this is not wise. You need to raise up some more folks to do this with you. And he does. He raises up the, the people to help him organize. Well, when Jesus comes, he's not just going to be sitting on the throne governing the whole planet from Jerusalem. He is going to bring his followers in to be co-regents with him and to reign with him. And I'll give you a few scriptures and then we'll pull it out. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests, Revelation 5.10. And they will reign where? So you have to stop this thinking that eternal life is in heaven. If you die right now, you go there because that's where God is. But God is coming back to the earth. We will not live in heaven forever. Heaven comes to earth. Revelation 22, and I saw the new Jerusalem coming down and it's rested over the earth. So never think that the earth is not powerful. My belief is, you believe this or not, it's a good opinion. I like it. It's not the sun that's the center of the universe. It's the earth. The earth is his footstool. The earth is immovable. The earth is what he made humans from. The dirt, will, my belief is, will never get off planet earth because we were made of dirt. And to get off the dirt we were made in that's going to be judged would put me in a place I couldn't be judged. I have to stay on the planet of the very thing I am. And so it all happens here. The Son of God came here. He was born here. We were put here. And God has encapsulated us here to rule and reign. So he's coming back. Here's the thing. We teach people you need to believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven. I'm like, okay, that's only half the story. Because the story is heaven comes back here. And, and I, I'm going to rule with him here on planet earth. And what we have is little harps floating around on a cloud. And it's just so weird. It's not, no wonder nobody wants to serve the Lord. So here's one of the thinkings. What is it going to be like to reign with him? We're going to reign on the earth. So if you die, you go there and wait. And then according to what I believe, you come back riding a horse with him and you rule. That'd be pretty cool. I mean, I'd like him to come before I die. But if I do, what a great opportunity to ride through the heavenlies and the universe riding a horse that can fly, which is weird. Coming back with the armies of heaven. Yeah. I kind of got Braveheart in my mind thinking, and Lucifer going, oh no, you know. <laughs> Revelation 11, and the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become, so there, there is this future thing that's going to happen. The world is going to become the kingdom of our Lord. Now, if this be true, if the world is going to become the kingdom of our Lord, what is the antithesis kingdom working for? The world is going to become the kingdom of Lucifer. It's all about a battle between these two beings here. And it says this, and he will reign how long? He will reign forever. Well, if we reign with him on earth, guess what? We reign forever. 
So get rid of this. We're to, what are we going to be doing forever and ever? And we're just kind of floating around eating Cheetos and Pringles. I just, wow, isn't this good? I can go pet an elephant. Wow, I, man, I'm going to own me a tiger one day. Like, it's not just going to be bliss. We're not going to be kicked back on a cloud, you know, drinking a Bud Light and just enjoying like blissful. There's no, there's no gnats. There's no, no, we're back on the earth and we're ruling forever. So that tells me there's going to be a lot of activity going on. It's not just going to be some weird thing where we're all dressed in white floating around, just bumping into each other going, how's your day? All right. And the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, verse 15 of Revelation 11, and there were loud voices in heaven. The kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and will reign forever and ever. And God said, let us make human beings in our image and they will be like us. I love this ruling over the sea. Let me make sure I got the right. Yep, I did. Ruling over the sea, and they will reign over the fish of the sea, and they will reign over the birds of the sky, and the livestock, and all the wild animals of earth. I put this verse in because it's interesting. This was said before there was ever a sin. God intended man to rule creation before there was ever a sin. So it tells me if I was intended to rule over the fish and the birds and the animals, then in the kingdom, if I'm reigning with him, I'm going to be ruling over the creatures as well. So when people say, will there be dogs? Will there be cats? There will still be animals. If they survive, they'll still be here and we'll get to rule and reign over them. Well, I thought the lion and lamb laid down together. Yeah, they did in the Garden of Eden, but he still had to rule over them. As far as we know, the tiger didn't kill the lamb until after the sin. So when we think rule and reign over the creatures, it probably doesn't mean to tell the lion. Now, don't you eat that little sheep because that behavior will be taken care of. But there's still going to be creatures here. Now, accordingly, my thinking is you may think I'm out in left field here, but I like my left field. I think when we rule and reign over creatures, we'll be able to communicate with them. Yeah. Because why would God parade the animals in front of Adam to name them if they couldn't communicate with each other? So the giraffe comes in front of, theoretically, the giraffe walks in front of him and he goes, giraffe. And the giraffe can't understand a human, so the giraffe just goes, I don't know what he said. I speak giraffe. So what we know from the beginning of time, humans must have been able to communicate with animals because God paraded them to hear what they would be called and they would be that. So it's strange. We can kind of do that today. You, you go home to your little dog and he looks at you with these eyes. And you're like, oh, he wants to get in the bed with me. Right? I mean, you, you just spend enough time. You try to figure it out. But I think there'll be one day he'll walk up and go, hey, I want to get in the bed with you. And you're like, yeah, come on in, man. I mean, don't think that's too far-fetched. Because we do know dogs can talk to dogs and chimps can talk with chimps and porpoises can talk with porpoises and humans can talk with humans. Well, one day I think we'll all be able to have the language of God and understand each other in some sense of the word. Verse 22 of Revelation 21, And I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of sun or moon, for the glory of the Lord illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. Oh, here's where it gets interesting. 
the nations will walk in its light. We're going to talk about this next week. This is where we'll end. And the kings of the world will enter into the city, into their glory. So it appears that when we get to the end of time as we know it, there are nations here, there are kings here, there are animals here, and there's a city where Jesus is ruling from. Verse 26 of Revelation 21. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor to the city. So what it tells me is that it's not just those of us in this time that have, you know, served Jesus, but everyone who made it through the tribulation and came into the lentil kingdom and the nations that are here, as we see next week, we're going to go back to the tree of life and the government of God to see what the tree of life means for us. But the thing we begin to govern as well is we reign over nations and kings. So let's look at the four of them. What does it mean to reign with him? We'll reign on the earth. It'll be forever. And we reign over the creatures and we reign over nations and kings. It's why he's called the king of kings, because there'll be kings here. I think both spiritual and both natural. There'll be kings. He reigns over all of them. He's the Lord of all lords. And he will reign over them. So these are the four things. We reign on earth. We reign forever. We reign over the creatures and we reign over the nations and the kings. Here's my question. I think it's a good question. How could Christ remotely consider trusting me to rule with him? We blew it the first time. Right? Yeah. We blew it the first time. How in his holy name could he trust me? To rule with him. I would love to dissolve all pride for a moment and all arrogance for a moment. And I would love to have one thought. Does anybody in here feel worthy to rule with him? How could Christ remotely consider trusting me? I think it's fair. I, I look at myself pastoring humans. And then I think, and he's going to trust me to rule with him? Over the entire planet? So the question is, how will he trust me? This is where it gets interesting. Don't you realize, verse 9 of Corinthians 6, that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? So let that soak in a minute. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. If you do wrong, God's not going to let you inherit the kingdom. This can't be eternal life because eternal life's not based on did you do wrong. Eternal life's based on did you believe in me. It's by grace and grace alone. But inheriting the kingdom, it's based on works. Because I will not share my kingdom with people who do wrong. He can't trust you. God will never trust you to rule with him if he can't trust you here. If he can't trust you on earth, he can't trust you in the kingdom. So know this, that he's watching us. He's judging us. And it goes on to say, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, worship idols, commit adultery, male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people. See, this couldn't just mean eternal life because that would mean that nobody that's greedy could get eternal life. 
Eternal life is based on faith in Christ, but ruling in the kingdom, how you act determines whether you reign with him. No one who is greedy will sit on a throne with him. He will not share a throne with a greedy person. He will not share a throne with an abusive person. He will not share a throne with a sexually immoral person. It goes on just to know that it's not just Paul writing a crazy scripture here. Galatians, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling? Quarreling? So we're not talking eternal life because none of us would get eternal life because we've all quarreled. But he said, if you want to think quarreling is not a big deal, I'm not even going to let people who quarrel share a throne with me. I'm watching how you handle life, Mark. Outburst of anger? Yeah, Mark, you lose your temper consistently. You're not sitting on a throne with me. I'm not sharing the kingdom with you here. You'll not inherit the kingdom that way, son. It sounds rude. We're not talking eternal life. We're talking a king who is looking for co-regents to stand with him to rule the earth. So what you're doing right now is a trial run for whether or not you'll rule one day. For if you're faithful in that which is little, I'll make you ruler over much. If you're faithful in that which is another man, I'll give you more. He's watching us. It goes on to say this. I said that you need even other sins, drunkenness, wild parties. I'll tell you again, as I've told you before, anybody that lives this sort of life won't inherit the kingdom of God. Think of all the Christians that are drunk. Well, doesn't he love me? Yes, he loves you. Won't I still go to heaven even if I drink too much? Yes, you'll still have eternal life if you believe in him. But he's not going to share the kingdom with a drunk. He can't trust you as a co-regent. If he, well, here's the thinking. If he can't trust you now, he won't trust you then. Yeah. I'll show you a scripture that's very, it stings the flesh of all humans. You can be sure, this is for those of us that think we could argue it. You can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. For a greedy person is an idolater and he worships the things of the world. So Jesus will not share a throne with people who worship the world. What do you mean by that? I mean, he says, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy to God. He won't share a throne with an enemy. That would be stupid. What, what king that rules says, hey, go get all the people that don't trust me and live for me and that are greedy people and that worship themselves because I want to put them in charge of something. No, no dictator's going to do that. If you're going to rule with people, you pick loyalists. You pick people that will die for the cause. You pick people that are going to fight for you. He goes on to say this. It gets better. For work willingly at whatever you do, Colossians 3, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And that I highlighted this word, the master you are serving is Christ. You ready for the next scripture? I told you that, that, that stings and it cuts all of us as humans. It's very difficult to argue. It is what it is. It's clear. Here it is. I don't like it, but we will take it. It's scripture. Colossians 3.25. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you've done. God has no favorites. 
that just, <laughs> that just cuts. Because you know, sometimes you feel like he probably likes you more than other people. I'm better than them a little bit. I'm not quite as evil as them. I don't lose my temper as much as them. And God's like, yo, bro. I mean, come on, Mark, be honest. A homosexual and a person that quarrels? I mean, come on, quarreling is nothing like homosexuality. I mean, a greedy person and an outburst of anger versus perversion of sexual sins? Oh, come on, Mark. And I look at that list of things and go, no, it's pretty clear. Greed, homosexuality, perversion, quarreling. There's no favorites. Right. Here's my thinking. I don't trust any of you. And you won't rule with me. That means that everything you're doing right now is being taken account of to reward you later. You'll stand before God one day and you'll give an account of the way you lived right here. And how you lived right here will determine the level within which you'll reign in his kingdom. And, and that to me, I use this word not lightly, but meaningful. That's scary. Because so many Christians today play with it. So many Christians say it really doesn't matter how I live. God just loves me. Jesus loves me. It doesn't matter how I act. It doesn't matter that I cuss my wife. It doesn't matter that I have an attitude problem and an anger problem and drinking problem. And come on, man, all of us have those things. All of us struggle with weaknesses. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course we all struggle with weaknesses. We're humans in a fleshly body. But he's still looking at me. Yeah. And he's still watching me because if, if that, watch now, if that's my excuse it tells him that I've not tapped into the real resource of victory, which is his spirit. And I will not share my kingdom with someone who's not tapped into the resource of my spirit. Jesus himself had to tap into that resource to accomplish the kingdom. So when we list all these fleshly things, what it's telling us is not that there's no hope for any of us, because that's true for all of us. We all have fleshly things, but, but the victory, Victory over it is, will I tap into the resource of the Spirit? Jesus himself, who was human, had to tap into that resource. He himself was tempted and drawn away, but he tapped into that resource. So one thing I could say about the kingdom that is to come, and I wish I had time to teach on it deeper. By deeper, I mean to go more in depth with it. If you go to look, may perhaps do this on your own tonight. If you go into the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, where Jesus starts personally talking to believers, followers. He says to every church and to every pastor and to every believer in every church, it is mandatory for you to overcome. And the way you do it is to hear the Spirit. Yes. Yes. Mandatory. Yes. There's no other way you're going to pull this off. Yes. So I wrote this out. The answer is, how could God trust me? It's because I don't rule with Christ by chance. I rule with him by being proved. Because right now, whether, you know, I think this is so foreign to a lot of Christian thinkers. You're being proven right now. How you handle your money, how you handle your marriage, how you handle your personality, how you handle your flesh. 
I just feel like the devil's riding me hard. Yeah, okay. Well, it's a proving ground. Earth is a proving ground. Here's where I'll show you scripturally what I mean by that. Revelation 2, 19. This is Jesus. Oh man, this is so good. His own words. I know all the things you do. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I know all the things you do. I was listening to a psychiatrist today in a short teaching and uh, he was talking to a CIA agent who was uh, basically he was involved in spy, the spy world in the CIA world. And he said that every every human has three people. And he said, what are you talking about? He said, every human has three people. Number one, their public life. It's what they present to you. It's what they want you to see. It's what they want you to know. It's how they appear when everybody's watching. And then there's their private life. It gets a lot more narrow. It's just a handful of people that know their private life. They're invited into a friendship. And you kind of know they're good and the bad and the ugly. You kind of know Jennifer kind of knows what I struggle with. I kind of know some of her quirks. Mother knows some of my quirks. It's the private life. It's the closer we are, Ron, the more we know about each other. And, and that's why so few friendships go to that level. Because I don't really want people knowing my private junk. But then there was the deeper level of you, and it's called the secret life. It's the things nobody knows but you. And if anybody does know, they've been invited into a realm that is so sacred that once they know it, the likelihood of you being friends for life is very high. Because they know your secret life. And he said in the world of espionage and spy, we, we don't care about your public life. We want to know your private life and get to know you so that you invite me into your secret life. And once you invite me there, the likelihood that I'll stay there until we die is very good. So everybody in this room probably possesses that. Our religious public life. Amen, brother. Hallelujah, sister. My private life, kind of what I do when nobody's watching, but the secret life the dark places. I don't want anybody to know. Well, the Bible says he knows. I see it all. There's one scripture that says, just so you know, I'll give it to you in a minute. It, it takes it a little deeper. He said, I've seen your love. These are works, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. And I can see, watch this. I can see your constant improvement. Let me tell you something about, I think about Jesus. I sometimes feel it would be so unfair that he's just nitpicking everything in my life, right? Like, oh gosh, oh gosh, I just feel like I'm such a failure. I don't know if he nitpicks us like that. I think he's just looking for, are you improving? Are you better this year than you were last year? Come on, none of us are perfect. But are you improving? Have you, are you conquering some of those demons? Are you, are you stronger in faith this year? Are you, are you looking out and going, man, I conquered that thing. Praise God. Like that's what I think Jesus is looking for because that is a sign that you're following the spirit. Yeah. Is that you're overcoming the hurdles. You're overcoming the, the temptations. You're learning to go around them. The constant improvement. That's what I always say about people. The, the 
sins of people don't really irritate me. We're all fleshly. The irritation is when you watch somebody who never desires to change. I love that my girls are trying to figure out life. That excites me. Sometimes a little failure, a bad choice, but I get excited. They're trying. What, what I don't like is them sitting on the couch bemoaning life and hating life and doing nothing. Come on, get out there. Try. Take a risk. Well, I'm afraid I'll fail. It doesn't matter if you fail. Go for it anyway. Well, what if I sign up and hate that class? Well, then drop it. Go anyway. You know, I think Jesus feels that way about us. Here's the scripture I was talking about. Revelation 2, 23. I'll strike her children dead. And all of the churches will know that I'm the one who searches out. Get ready. I search the thought. And the intent of every person. Holy smoke. And just so you don't know, if I don't think I know what I'm talking about, he says, I'm going to give to all of you what you deserve. Nobody will stand in front of him and get ripped off. You won't stand there. I thought I did a really good job and I can't believe. No, it won't be that. You'll stand there and you'll get exactly what you had coming. To those who had reward, reward. To those who had great reward, great reward. To those who had little reward, little reward. To those who never followed him, they'll never inherit. So the reality of this teaching is it doesn't fill up churches. It makes you feel like you're a Pharisee. Well, who are you to judge me? I don't. He does. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not God. Well, do you think if I drink too much, I won't get in? Honey, I ain't judging that. Because I don't know drunkenness. Is that three beers or is that a shot of whiskey with a margarita? I don't know. I just know that when you get there and he judges you, it'll be right. So I don't want to play around too much with that. And I don't want to be arrogant and go, I'm going to nitpick everybody because I'm not God. I'm just simply saying he's going to do that. But he'll give you what you deserve. So know this right now. He's watching you. He's watching me. He watches my public life, my private life, and my secret life. And one day I'll stand in front of him and he'll go, hey, son. I'll go, oh, yo, hey. You ready? No. I don't think I am. Well, we're going to start with everything you've ever said. And we're going to judge. We're going to judge every idle word that ever came out of your mouth. Because I want you to know, Mark, you stand in front of me, whatever you get in my kingdom, you earned it. The eternal life, living forever, that's a free gift, son. I'll give you the right to eat of the tree. We're not talking about the tree right now. We're talking about reigning with me. I'll teach that tomorrow or next week. Big difference in reigning in the millennial kingdom and having the right to eat of the tree of life. Big difference. So eternal life is by grace. It is the sole work of Jesus. Just believe. It's how he could say to the thief on the cross who did nothing good. (laughs) He didn't tell him you'll reign in my kingdom. He said, I'll see you on the other side, boy. You're going to get eternal life. You'll be with me today. In paradise. 
So eternal life is the sole work of Jesus. It's so important to believe in him, to be able to live forever, to be able to eat of the tree of life and drink from the water. But reigning with him, it's a work. Faith without works. This is reigning with him. Reigning with Jesus is by our works that have proven us faithful to his will. Your faithfulness is on trial right now. Your faithfulness. Well, doesn't God love me if I'm just lazy? Sure he does. We're not talking about love. We're talking about reigning with him. Here's a verse in Revelation chapter 2. I will ask nothing more of you, verse 25 of Revelation 2, except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, oh, listen to this, who obey me to the very end. (laughs) To them, I will give authority over the nations. He's not going to share authority to reign if you don't obey to the very end. There's nothing less trustworthy than a disobedient child. All right, we're going on a date. I want you to obey tonight. And then you go away on a date and you come back and the babysitter's like, whoo, whoo. That disobedient child. It's hard to put a disobedient child in charge of anything. It's like, I'm not going to put them in charge. They don't even listen. So the Lord says, here's what's interesting. Jesus affirms this again in the Gospels. You must obey me to the very end. Don't tap out. Don't quit. To the very end, obey me. Now, I like obedience. Obedience is good on some days. On Tuesday, Friday, not so good. But obedience is a long journey. It's, it's, the, it's your whole life. Obedience is not, I went to this conference and man, I did good for two months and I'm slacking back off again. Uh, I love to define it this way. It's the long road of your life. It's not a location. It's the journey. It's the whole way to the end. But if you do, if you make it to the end, if you endure, if you prove yourself faithful, if you follow me and obey, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you authority. There's that ruling. I'm going to put you on a throne and you're going to rule over the nation, son. Daughter, you will rule over the nations. I'll sit on this throne and I will share my kingdom with you and you all will rule and reign. I hope he puts me somewhere that has Mexican food. That would just be awesome. A thousand years of enchiladas and chips and salsa. I try to be faithful to that. I did a good job, Lord. I was faithful. And they, Revelation 2, 27, they'll rule the nations with an iron rod. You're not just sitting there biting your nails going, oh, this is fun. You'll be literally ruling over nations, keeping them in line to worship and take sacrifices to Jerusalem. I taught this in our revelation class and to the nations that don't. He says, you'll have authority to stop the rain like Elijah over their nation. It won't rain on them. You'll have that kind of authority to rule with me. Verse 28, they'll have the same authority. That's good. You like that? They'll have the same authority that I received from my father. And I'll also give them the morning star. 
He says this, look, Revelation 22, 12, I'm coming soon. Come on. I love it. And I'm bringing my reward to repay all the people according to their deeds. I'm the alpha. I'm the mega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I, Jesus, verse 16 of Revelation 22, have sent my angel to give you this message for the church. I'm both the source of David. I'm the heir to his throne. And you remember he said, I'll give you the morning star. He says of himself, I'm the bright and morning star. He says that if you will obey to the end, and you'll stay faithful to my will, I'll share myself with you. I'll share my authority with you. I'll share my right to rule with you. And you will partake of the bright morning star. And that is me. I think that's a powerful thing. Here's how we'll conclude it. Right now, it's an ugly journey. <laughs> Obedience. You thought when you grew up and turned 18, you were free. Get out of this house and have to obey nobody. And I will say, it's not the devil that's the trick. It's obedience. It's obedience. Because the flesh screams and makes it a war. Come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Learn of me, for my yoke is... Easy. Well, it should be easy. Yeah, it should be easy. But when I live by the flesh, obedience is difficult. I don't even like to talk about obedience. I, I dare say, I don't know. It's not like I listen to a lot. But I will say this. I rarely hear messages from pulpits on obedience. I hear it doesn't matter who you are. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. He wants to empower you, which is all true. It's every bit of it true. But you're not going to stand in front of him and, and, and rule with him because you had giddy feelings. You're going to rule with him because you proved you could obey. He even says this. It, it, it's, again, it's tucked away in his teaching. If you love me, you'll obey. It's connected to how, why would he, why would he be so harsh here? You must obey me because people who obey really love him. Not fake love, real love. And, and he's, our obedience is judging our love. So it tells me that when I stand before him, he rewards the love that I've poured out to him. And I get to rule. And if I'm obedient now, accordingly what we read, I get to reign with him then. Waiting on you right now is a spot in his kingdom to rule over the nations and the creatures to share in his authority, to rule with an iron scepter. And right now when you go to bed, every little casual thing we do, is, I don't know how he's doing it. I don't know if he keeps, according to what I read in Revelation, there's books that have everything we've done. Yeah. It pays to stay faithful. Yeah. I know we live in a generation where it, that's difficult now because it's such a narrow road now and it's such a wisdom that is contrary to the earth. Please don't get sucked up in it. Please don't get sucked up into it doesn't matter how I live. It does. God cares and he wants to share his kingdom with you. So, Father.